Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode 104, Willow Wanders, recorded on August 8th, 2020. My name is Julie Fafam Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. I just came back from the food store, which is always this kind of adventure. Recreational activity during quarantine. Well, I'm not the only person who does that, I've discovered, but I've tried to cut back. Plus, which when you come back now, there's all this extra cleaning and sanitizing and so on. So it's actually becomes a big deal. And today is actually a very important day. I have not seen you in person since June 28th. Today is August 8th. I know, it's been a long time. And you certainly haven't seen the baby, and he's so big. But we are finally out of quarantine. We finally hit our last 14-day safety from all the travel. So I'm super excited. And when I see you later today for dinner, I'm just going to rub myself and the baby all over you. And give you all of our regular germs. <laughs> um, some, Cannot wait. Right? Aren't we excited about that? Probably more excited about the baby than me. But you know, I am your baby. At some point, I was your baby. So now I understand. It's You're okay for me to my rub baby. myself all over you. You don't unbecome my baby. Right? Ooh, sorry. It's true. Um, so a couple things of interest that I do want to make sure to mention. Um, I have some upcoming live online classes. Uh, I have some sold out live online classes, but I have some ones that have space too. So uh, if you get very interested in making your own journals after listening to this podcast, which you might because of our guest, Wendy, um, I have a pamphlet stitch journal class that's coming up. I also have a few scanning cut classes with spaces. Also, a lot of people have been asking for um, private classes and stuff like that. So I finally put up a web page that has some information on how to have um, private sessions with me, whether it's about business issues, like making your own online classes, doing your own podcast, whatever it is, or art issues or whatever it is uh, you may have. Um, Also, I want to tell you I'm super excited. I have a big Carve December class that's going to be an online class that's coming up, and I have just started to line up some of the online guests. I've asked some of my favorite people who have participated in Carve December for many years to guest teach in that class, and I think it's going to be epic and awesome. I'm really excited. And then finally, um, the membership. You know, we did a podcast a little while ago that was about three customer questions. And I took my own advice or mom's advice or whoever's advice it was. And I went to the membership and I asked them a question, which was, would you rather have the monthly vlog or a digital download? And I was shocked by the response. What do you think that people would want, mom? Um, Download? See, that's what I thought. I thought people would want the download, but no, there was one person who wanted the download. Everybody else wanted the vlog. And I was shocked by it because I thought, oh, this is so self-indulgent of me to share this vlog in which I just sort of talk about myself, you know, and like show off the baby and just show stupid stuff from daily life. But it turns out that people actually like that. Uh, And that was kind of wonderful and interesting to hear. So I'm excited to keep going with the vlog in the membership. So that's wonderful. And if you would like to meet the baby and hang out with us and do all the fun membership stuff with the monthly live stream, um, come on over and join as part of the membership. It's just $5.99 a month. 
Um, and as always, which I always say, uh, you know, if you want to help the podcast out, thank you so much to everyone who gives us a shout out on social media because that always helps other people find the show, which is exciting too. So I'm really looking forward to talking to our guest today. I know you don't know her at all and I barely know her. She's someone I actually recently started following on Instagram, but the second that I found her profile, I felt a strong kinship. Um, she has a lot of the same influences that I do, but, uh, today we're going to talk to her and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm here with Wendy Solganak. Did I pronounce that? Solganic. Solganic. I already pronounced it incorrectly. We're off to a great start. Solganic. Uh, who I, who I think of as Willa Wanders because that's her name on Instagram, which is how I found her. And she is a lifelong artist and crafter, and she's currently working in book arts, mixed media, and watercolor. And she has done a lot. She's done production wheel pottery, scrapbooking, knitting, uh, and she's very interestingly, and I want to talk to her about this. I'm super excited to find out about, uh, she had a 15-year stint as the co-owner of Luscious Verde, a successful award-winning custom invitation design, printing, and manufacturing company. Um, She makes these beautiful, handmade, colorful, and highly custom art journals for her clients, and has a big extended family that she cares for. And as she says, you just never know where she will wander to next so welcome wendy thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast like i am truly honored oh i'm so excited to have you can you uh just tell us a little bit about where willow wanders came from it was a little bit of an evolution so i'm just gonna pick my story up at instagram (laughs) roughly two years ago (laughs) a little bit over two years ago So I, like I had mentioned, I did own a custom stationery manufacturing company for 15 years and I exited that business and then I kind of slept a lot, exercised and healed and meditated after working so hard for so long and caring for my family. And then about a little over two years ago, my middle daughter said, mom, you should start an Instagram account for your art because I know you really like to do lettering and watercolors and bullet journaling. And I was like, really, you think I should start an Instagram account for that? And she's like, definitely. And my middle daughter is actually a certified like Instagram celebrity. So her Instagram account is Tibble Slimes, and she has about 900,000 followers. Tibble Slimes? Tibble Slimes. My daughter is what you call a slimer. What? I can guess what that is, but I've never heard of it. What? Yeah, explain that. Yeah, it's basically, um, it's a person who manufactures slime and makes satisfying videos and engages with a community based on their love of slime. And if you if you don't know it's there, like you would not even understand that it was there, but it's there and it's very, very large. Wow. Is this kind of like the old Nickelodeon um, slime sliming so thing? It's, it's derivative of that, but it's far more creative. So it's really turned into an art form and there's a whole world of it. They have conventions. We've traveled all over the place. And my daughter identified this niche when it was just starting on Instagram, got involved and grew very quickly and ended up operating essentially her own manufacturing company at the age of, you know, 12, 13 and 14 out of our home. 
And so she was on Instagram all the time and selling slime all the time. And she said, Mom, you should start this account. And I thought, okay, you know, I'll try it. And five minutes later, I was madly in love with Instagram, the art community, the inspiration that it provided for me. And I just started making more and more art. So like I said, I've always been a crafter, but I had kind of taken a big break from making my own art for a very long time because I was running a manufacturing company. And yes, it was, you know, we were selling design, but it wasn't me doing the designing anymore. It was other people doing the designing and I was really managing people and processes and problems with, you know, orders gone wrong and all of that stuff. So I had really been out of making my own art for a very long time. That's fascinating, so by the way, that Julie I was tells say. people yeah. all the time. I was going to say, that this is an ongoing it may thing. Seem like she runs a, yeah, it may seem like she does art all the time, but really most of her life is business. So we could have a whole conversation just about the realities of operating an art business, which I'm sure you're both very, very you know, familiar with. When you're the operator of the business, you're not usually the one making the art anymore, especially the larger the business gets. Right. So the business that I got at its peak grossed $2.4 million a year, which for, wow. you know, for a for small a stationary business. company, yeah. yeah, for a craft business, you know, run by two moms in the Midwest, it was really pretty awesome. And at our peak, I think we had something between 25 and 30 employees and it was, it was full throttle for 15 years. And um, anyway, so uh, we could talk about that. I'll just finish, if you want, I'll finish my story of, of how I became Willow Wanders. So it was really me getting back in touch with what did I want to do? And I started out with bullet journaling and lettering, which I had been lettering, you know, before starting this stationary company, I was very into lettering. But then I stopped doing all the lettering. <laughs> I stopped doing all the designing. It was other people doing it. So I was getting back into relearning calligraphy, relearning lettering, relearning drawing, and all of these things that I had fallen in love with so long before, but had really not practiced myself. So actually, the name of my Instagram account when I started was very different. It was like, <laughs> it was my kids still make fun of me for my Instagram names. It was Loves, Flowers, Letters, and Bujos, and they hated that name. <laughs> it's so long. It's so long, but I didn't know. I didn't know what to name the account. Like, it, and it. Anyway, so um, so over time, as I got more and more into taking art classes from other people and practicing my own, it just kind of naturally evolved where I was suddenly like, well, this name doesn't even fit me anymore because I'm not even really focusing on, you know, taking pictures of my bullet journals and just lettering. Now I'm really into watercoloring, which I had also done before I owned the company. Um, I was, I started getting into mixed media. So essentially my entry point into mixed media art has only been for about one year. Oh, did you hear that? Static? Yes. We're still I don't here. Know what that was. We're still here. Okay, so I really only started with mixed media a year ago. And 
the way that I got involved with that was really just, you know, seeing what other people were doing and being excited by something and then, you know, exploring something new and going in like a slightly different direction and having all these new skills that were building and building and building. And then there were some really key points along that journey of following whatever I was interested in that really led me to the point where I am right now. Well, take which us is Willow through Wanders. those key points. We want to hear them. Okay. So the, the I would say some of the really biggest points for my personal journey with art right now is I took a course from a woman named Louise Fletcher, and she's a fine artist. She's an abstract artist, and she had a free course called Find Your Joy. And I had been kind of muddling around in the art world and thinking, you know, am I, if I'm making all this art, what am I going to do with it? Like, is it just going to pile up in my house? I mean, am I supposed to now try to sell it because, because I'm painting and I'm doing all these things? Like, what am I doing? What am I going to do with it? I'm not, I try not to be a hoarder. So I don't even I try not to, to be a hoarder it. anymore. By you don't the way. even try. Just, so <laughs> I'm a just, I'm there. I'm a hoarder. So I, I am, a, to say it nicely, I'm a collector. <laughs> But I'm sensitive. You're a curator. <laughs> I'm a collector and a curator. I'm sensitive to the fact that I'm middle-aged and I'm not going to live forever. And I don't want my kids to have to deal with so much stuff after I'm gone. And so I just, in my mind, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm making all this stuff, what am I going to do with it? So I was taking this, this free long course called Find Your Joy. I realized when I was taking that course that what I really just most like to do is make art in a journal that has no other value other than my own relaxation and joy. And I especially like to make art while listening to podcasts or audible books. And I just said, you know what, if this is all that this ever is, is just me making art in a journal for myself because I deserve it that's all that it needs to be and I totally let go of all of that anxiety about why was I doing this why was I spending so much time doing it why was I buying so many art materials why did I suddenly have an art studio in my house I just kind of was like it's for me it's just for me and that's all it ever needs to be let me do ask you, you just as a side note yeah do you think that if your thing turned out to be exercise, that you would be punishing yourself and saying, why am I doing this? Why am I buying these this clothes and this equipment and these classes when it's just for me? That's a brilliant, brilliant question, actually. No, I wouldn't have been punishing myself at all. I would have been thinking this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be trying to manipulate the size and the of my body this is what I want. This is what society wants of me. And I'm a good girl. I'm right. a and good girl. Right. And you would have felt, you would have felt kind of pure, pious about what you were doing, right? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely pious. I don't I, I know was, why. I was, that, I was that girl for a long time. Yeah. I was I that girl. We are all somewhat that, that girl. You yeah. know, and we feel guilty about doing something that has no societally applauded 
value. People applaud you if you're exercising, but they don't applaud you if you're writing or making a journal. I mean, they but just don't. Especially with no commercial intention. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to teach this to anyone. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to sell this at all. It was just, you know, gluttonous to, you know, have so many hours in the day to enjoy myself. But I just, I went with it and it felt so good. I mean, I good could not, you. I didn't want to stop. And then the other thing that happened was that I took, it's funny because I've taken so many paid courses, like at this point, hundreds and hundreds of paid courses. Um, but it was another actually free course from Kelly Wynn Conrad. And she gives a course called the Layered Page, which was only available for free, actually, for a limited amount of time. And now you can purchase it. Um, but basically, it was, a, it was a mixed media course. It was one of my first mixed media courses that I ever took. And after you made these layered pages, which were so fun to make, you then folded them, tore them, and turned them into these little booklets. Yeah. And it was like magic for me. I had been a handmade bookmaker a long time ago in my early 20s. I was involved, I lived in Los Angeles and I was involved in an incredible group called the Society for Calligraphy. And I made many, many books. They used to bring teachers in from all over the world to give workshops. And I would go to these workshops and we would make handmade books and we would do lettering and we would make, you know, paste papers and marbled papers and all of this amazing stuff. And this was like, at this point, more than 25 years ago, but I haven't made a handmade book since. And all of a sudden I was like, I want to make books again. This, this, it's like, it was the, the natural extension for me of the joy of creating in the mixed media way in a journal. But now suddenly I was like, oh, I'm actually creating the journal and everything about it got 10,000 times better. So that's what you see right now. And then really what drove me to start selling journals, because that, that I'm going to guess that's probably one of the questions, is also goes back to that hoarding thing or the collecting thing or the curating thing. I just don't, I want to make journals so badly and I want to keep making different journals and, and challenge myself and learn new things. But what I don't want is a collection or a wall of journals that sits in my house. It just doesn't feel right to me. I, I just, I don't want to be kind of like swallowed up by these journals. So I just, um, in the beginning of this year, it was actually around Christmas time of 2019. I said, what if, you know, what if I just started an Etsy store? What if I tried to sell journals? What would happen? And they were purchased so quickly that I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to explore this. I'm going to see, I'm going to see like, you know, what would it be like to just make journals regularly and sell them on Etsy? And that very quickly um, evolved into, I don't even need to sell them on Etsy. I can just sell them through Instagram. I can make a journal, post a photograph of it. And within 20 minutes it will be purchased. And then it got to the point where I was like, oh, there's so many people who want handmade journals. I need to just start a waiting list. 
and I'll just make them for people, you know, one at a time. And people can give me a, a 50% deposit and I will, they can just be the, like the next in line. So then what happened <laughs> is I had too many people on the waiting list and I shut the waiting list down. And I said, I just need, I just need to make the journals that I've taken the deposits for and see what happens when I, when I get through a lot of that list. So a couple of things I want to say, which is one, uh, the journals, by the way, I think are priced extremely fairly. Um, they may be priced too fairly. I yeah. think that that's what I'm thinking. And that's potentially why I'm drowning a little right now. So I was going to say, because you charge, is it a 36 page journal is the beginning starting price? Yeah. Something like roughly. that. So it's a 36 yeah. or 36 30, side yeah. journal, which would be 18 pages, right? Uh, something no, like it's that. actually, it's actually 32 pages. So it's, oh, it's, it's 64 pages, sides. 64 sides. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so when you charge like $125 as sort of a base on that, I just increased to 125. I was just charging 100 for okay. a 32 page, you I know, still, with a handmade cover. I still think cover. it's extremely fair at 125 because I noticed like, yes, you, not only do you do the handmade covers, which are gorgeous, but there are many pages inside that have your illustrations and drawings and stuff. And there's tons of vintage finds and stuff. And it's, it's one of those interesting things where it's like if someone were to buy a piece, a single piece of your work, they could expect to spend that much, let alone yes. an entire journal yes. full of it that's custom made and many times, you know, hand sewn and not to mention the expense of art supplies that are going into this. I mean, you're talking about, I noticed you use like Fabriano <laughs> watercolor paper and arches. These are expensive papers and all that kind of I stuff. Have... So. Yeah, I have Amazing. invested a lot of money in the materials to make it possible to make a lot of journals. Um, and essentially what I was sort of basing my prices on is the little research that I had done to see, you know, what are other people charging for handmade books and handmade journals. And I think that overall as a community, people are not making money doing this, myself included no one is really charging what really you know needs to go into the price in order to for the person to cover their costs and make a little profit like yeah, have you ever figured what your hourly return is if you include the price of the materials yeah i mean it's it's you know it's like having a 12 dollar an hour job Although I have to say, one of the one of the things that made me love you and the reason that I invited you on this podcast was I saw a response that you gave to somebody in the comments of your Instagram where they said, how long does it take you to make a journal? And you said, my whole life. Exactly. And, yeah. And to me, I was like, 100% that is true. And it reminds me of this potentially apocryphal Picasso story that I've always loved where a woman came up to him in a bar and said, I love your work. Would you mind drawing something on this napkin for me? And he drew a quick sketch and said, that'll be $30,000. And she said, <laughs> what are you talking about? That took you 15 seconds. He said, no, it took me my life. 
And I do think there is this thing, which is to say Picasso, who's a man and, the, you know, probably potentially the most famous artist. Like, you know, and he's even talking about people devaluing his work. I think certainly our uh, our work as women and, you know, as uh, contemporary artists certainly gets devalued as well, particularly working in a space that's not traditional, you know, fine art. But it's a very interesting thing to sort of find out what that line is in terms of uh, is is what you're making a physical object that people are going to use or is it an art object? You know, if you went into a gallery and somebody had a uh, had a, you know, sculptural book or a book that was book art in some way you would expect to pay a lot of money for it. Do you know what I mean? But if you go to your local stationery store and you pick up a journal, you would not expect to pay a lot of money for it. And the question is, like, where does this sit on that vast continuum? So I'm figuring it out. You know, it's like when I had my manufacturing company for stationery, it took a while to figure out the pricing. It wasn't like, oh, you know, we we set up shop and suddenly we knew what the right prices were. It was an evolution as we saw, you know, how long does it take to, to make this? What do the materials really cost? So I'm still so much at the beginning of making the journals that I'm still at that place where I'm, I'm doing that. You know, I I was making a journal the other day. Actually, this is kind of interesting. I was making a journal the other day and what kept going through my mind is I cannot continue to do this and charge what I'm charging. Like I will end up resenting this instead of continuing to love this. And um, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to figure it out. I want to maintain my love for it. And right now I still do, even at the prices that I'm charging, but I don't think that I would continue to take more orders than I already have at those prices. You know what you didn't put in there beyond just the beauty of the object is the rarity and uniqueness, because that counts too when yes. you're pricing yeah, something. one of a kind. I it do is think- totally one of a kind and custom for each customer. So I work with each customer individually. I don't just make a book and say, okay, here's what I've made for you. I ask each customer, what are their favorite colors? And then I develop a mood board and I present to them that mood board. And I say, here are the materials that I'm considering using for your cover. What do you think about this? So my experience in doing this comes from all of those years of making custom high-end invitations for people. Yeah, this is so truly a like, bespoke experience for somebody. It like, is a this bespoke really is. experience. I was it just thinking of tailoring. I yeah. was just thinking of that. It, and you wouldn't expect object. someone to make you a tailored bespoke dress for just the cost of the materials right it's true and i I think a lot of yeah i was gonna say like there's a weird line and i totally get this people used to ask me all the time if i would make uh if i would make journals to sell and i always said there's just no way because nobody's gonna pay four or five hundred dollars which is what it's worth to me do you know what i mean yes to do a journal you're totally right and on the other hand, though, I also understand that, you know, it is there is like a hoarding thing, which is you don't want to make the price so high that you end up with all these books on the shelves instead of people buying them. And it's like it is that old thing. If you have one apple at 25 cents, you can sell four apples if you make it 45 cents. But can you, you know what I mean? Trying to figure out like how to work out the math. Do you uh, do you know the calligrapher or I guess lettering artist Lauren Home? No. 
So she but is a very she's she's a very interesting person uh, to think about. She she has been wild has had this wildly successful lettering career, and almost all of her sort of huge hits and the jobs that have made her uh, gotten her sort of where she is in her career, she credits to doing passion projects. And she talks a lot about how uh, there was a period of time when she was young and hungry in New York City where she did this thing called lettering for lunch, where she just went into different restaurants and she'd be like, I will do some beautiful lettering on your chalkboard for free in exchange for a meal. And her chalkboards were so fabulous and people started to, you know, love them that she started, then people started to be willing to pay her money. And then people started, you know, then the campaigns and the big things came out because, you know, they're the guy, you know, the marketing director from All Ben Power or whatever actually lives in New York and is walking past, you know, other restaurants or whatever. So I think that she has had several different projects like that. And it, it is an interesting thing that I always think about. And other there are many other creators who talk about this, too, about doing the things that you love and realizing that there are ways for it to uh, financially, career-wise, whatever, work out for you. But on the other hand, I just want to say, like, I also think, and you know this because you've been a successful business owner and you have done all these things, which is sometimes when we can make it into, like, a bigger thing, we do, and that's maybe not the healthiest or best thing or what we really want. And I go back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, which is if this is just you making books and listening to podcasts, like it is enough i almost think of like dianu that's enough it would be enough right which is it's enough yeah it is enough it's true i've been there i've done it where you go to the big time i mean i've done it and while there's so many amazing things that i cherish about that experience um the reason why i left is because i could not really raise my family the way that i wanted to and also be the co-owner of a business and, you know, with what I'm doing now, I'm not looking for that, that big, you know, I'm not looking for my name in lights. I'm not looking for, you know, national exposure and all of those things. Um, and it may be as simple too, as like, you don't need these books to pay the bills. Therefore, fun. I don't, I do not need the books to pay the bills. And so it then would be it so different issue. if I did. I yeah. would be so different if, when I was the co-owner of that company, I needed that to pay the bills. You're completely right. It's two totally separate things. And so I think like that, this gets back to something we talk a lot on the podcast about, which is there isn't a right or wrong, whether it's like, should I use blue or should I use pink? Should I use this brush? Should I use that brush? Or whether should I make this career choice or that one? There's really about what's right for you. And I think the being able to know what you want is like the hardest part of the journey. And it sounds like, to me at least, that you have found or figured out that what you want is something that is fun and relaxing and challenging and opens you up, but not that is not necessarily driving towards like a big business of some kind. So what you said is totally true. Um, I figured out what I wanted actually when I was in my early twenties and I thought that I was pursuing that life of crafting for fun. You know, again, maybe you make a little bit of side money, but you're not looking to turn it into a big business and life just had a way of, of 
taking me in a direction that I never could have anticipated. So when I was in my early 20s, I actually went to law school and I hated it. I realized very, very quickly that it was not for me, that I had made a huge mistake and that what I really wanted to do was pursue my crafts. But I was very young and I didn't have a support system and I knew other people because I was in this pottery world. I was living in Los Angeles. I was friends with lots of potters and I saw what people were doing and what the compensation was in return. And I knew that you couldn't really even live in Los Angeles on the money that you would earn from producing pottery and selling it at all these nice craft shows. You couldn't even live on that. It was so low. And people were making beautiful pottery and selling it in Beverly Hills, like these big, big, beautiful craft shows. And they were on subsistence level. And I decided at that point, like, I, I can't, I just, it's not for me to do that. And I, I really needed to figure something else out. And when I was very young, I figured out that marriage was what I was gonna do. I was gonna, I was gonna find a husband and, and see, you know, if I could find a husband that would allow me to make pottery full time. And, uh, you know, of course that would bring in a little bit of income, but it wasn't gonna be like, this is the income that we're gonna live on. And it worked out really well for me. I found a wonderful husband and he has been incredibly supportive, was very happy when I was making very little money and also very happy when I was making a lot of money. He didn't really care. He had a stable job and a stable income. And um, after making pottery for a while and I got married and then um, I had my first child. And after I had a child, I didn't wanna be around all the chemicals of pottery anymore. And so I kind of retired out of pottery and I started to focus more on fine art and lettering. And at the time, because I was a new mom, I got really heavily into scrapbooking. And scrapbooking was actually the thing that ended up inspiring the whole fine uh, invitation company because I was working all the time with paper and I've kind of lost track of where I'm going with the story but oh I, I mean I know what kind of like my point of this is is that um I never intended to make some big business out of my crafts but I've always been a super passionate crafter and life had a very strange way of moving me in directions that I never even chose for myself or intended. And it's taken me a very long time to understand that I should trust my own intuition, that I shouldn't just go along with what other people want and um, do things because other people need me to do them. And a lot of the reason actually why I, and why I went into that business that ended up becoming this much larger craft business was because I was trying to help out a friend who was in need. And that was the co-owner of the company with me. And she needed to work full time and she needed to have a business. Um, but it was, it was never my choice to, you know, raise children and be running around and out of the house and all of those things. So that was kind of like a long way of saying, I'm almost 50. And 
my understanding of who I am is so much deeper now than it ever has been before. And I'm also very protective now over my own needs in a way that I never was before. You know, what's interesting is a lot of times women get labeled selfish if they protect themselves. I don't, I think one has to ignore that and just plunge forward and say, this is what I need to do. And if I get labeled selfish by some people, I have to live with that and that's okay. You know, there's a parenting account I've started following on Instagram. And one of the things that uh, recently was on it was this thing that was about the idea that being a selfless parent is something that we always think about. Oh, I should just constantly subvert, you know, my needs to whatever it is that my child wants. And it doesn't matter if it's too hard for me, if I don't want to, if I'm not in the mood or whatever. And what this was saying is actually you're modeling terrible behavior for your children when you do that. And what you really need to do is you need to find a way to be able to say in a loving way to your child, like, I am going to take some time. I'm going to take five minutes for myself. You can be upset about it, but I'm going to go over there, you know, and I need the five minutes to sit quietly because I need to take time for myself. And that what you're doing in that moment is teaching your child that they too should take time for self-care. You're not saying that they can't be upset about it. You're not saying that they can't do whatever, you know, or if they want to play a game that you don't want to play again and again and again, you don't have to play it. You can say, I'm not into, I don't want to play that right now, but I would play X, 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 Y, or Z with you, you know, and so that they understand that, like, it's okay for them to make a choice when they grow up because essentially they're modeling their behavior after you. And I think that's such an interesting idea because I think, you know, I had sort of, uh, I had uh, always thought of this idea of like, oh, you're supposed to just, you know, be be as selfless as possible, as humanly possible. But I I like that idea about like self-care and taking time for yourself and protecting yourself as being a vital part of, um, I think, I actually think it's a vital part of, art making to a certain extent because uh and you can probably attest to this too wendy which is like when you get burnt out on the stuff that you don't want to do it makes it very hard to ignite that creative spark uh i will attest to that when i operated the business i was burned out the entire time and the only time during those i mean you know how avid of a crafter I am you can see it on Instagram how how prolific I can be when I'm you know in the groove when I own that company the only time I ever did any of my own crafting on my own spare time was when I was on maternity leave with my second child I started to knit and then pretty shortly after I went back to work I think I pretty much stopped knitting. I mean, I was, you know, I was giving my all to the business and there was really very little left after that. You know, I had, by the, by the end, I had three kids <laughs> and I was working full time and there was not a lot of self-care. Do you think you allowed yourself to knit when you were on maternity leave, partially because you could justify that it was for the good of the baby? I'm relaxing because it's better for the baby. 
I don't think that that ever crossed my mind okay. consciously or even subconsciously. I think it was like the first downtime I had had in years. And I'm, I really am. So I just, I love crafting. I love learning new crafts. I love trying new things. And I just think as soon as I wasn't, you know, going to an office every day, it was like, I immediately just picked it up. It was also really like popular at the time. Mm -hmm. It was, there was like stitch and bitch. That book was really popular. It was just kind of like one of the peaks of knitting. And I, I could sense that around me. I think that's actually all these experiences in your life have been building up and that may have been in the back of your mind when you decided to just craft for yourself. I think that you had some memory of how wonderful it was to just be able to do whatever craft or art you wanted to do without necessarily having the goal of selling it. I, I don't know what it is about selling it, but people start to think that unless you can get a lot of money for what you're doing, what's the value? But that's partially because one of the first questions, if you tell somebody you're an artist, one oh, of yeah. the first things they'll say is, where do you sell your work? If you say you're a writer, one of the first things they'll say is, where can I buy your book? Because it is always the idea that if you sell it, that must mean that you're successful. And we can go back and forth on all the stuff like Van Gogh never sold a painting in his lifetime and blah, 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 blah. But there is validation in it. And in fact, one of the compliments that people give all the time is, that's so great. I would buy that. Right. The ultimate compliment. You know, I think there is something about the idea of selling that is it's validating. It makes you feel like somebody, you know, wants your work. We see all over Instagram and other places. Oh, it's sold. I'm so happy. I'm so honored when people buy my work. I'm so excited. I'm so this and all that is true. One hundred percent. It is that exciting. But it is like the there that is a way of calling yourself out as having as being successful there are there it is so difficult to find markers i think of success uh that people use selling as one of the big ones to say i'm successful i mean it makes sense look i'm not gonna knock feeling validated i i would never criticize anyone for seeking validation even i think that seeking validation is a very human quality. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard anything or read anything about evolutionary psychology, um, but I'm very interested in evolutionary psychology as just one of the many things I like to, to learn about. And without approval from your tribe, you know, 100,000, 200,000, even a million years ago as a you know, animal, human being trying to survive on the earth, you needed validation from the other animals, you know, humans that you were trying to survive with. So it's, it's built so deeply into who we are that we need validation. If we are not valuable to our tribe, then if something happens to us and we break a bone or we get bitten by something, 
then the rest of the, the people that are in our tribe are just going to leave us by the side of the road and keep moving on. So I 100 so, percent I was going to say I so believe in this. I think it's absolutely true. And I understand all that. And it's interesting because I was reading something about child psychology and they were saying that you are not supposed to ever tell your child I'm proud of you because that indicates to them that validation should come from the outside that somebody else but instead you're supposed to say I bet you're proud of yourself or I hope you're proud of yourself or are you proud of yourself so that they understand that validation is supposed to come from within but it's like hard trying to rewire something do you know what I mean because we're programmed to seek yeah, that validation it's trying to outside. rewire something yes like you know look we can try and it's wonderful to develop in your child, you know, self-validation. It's certainly far superior than being a people pleaser like I had been for so long. I'm much more into self-validation now. But at the same time, I also seek a tremendous amount of validation. I mean, I think the reason why I'm even so involved in what I'm doing right now is because I have received a tremendous amount of validation from the tribe on Instagram. I mean, it's a very large tribe. It's it's a when when it all comes down to it, it's kind of like a pretty well organized community over there. And I'm one of the people that has received a tremendous amount of validation, and it feels really good. I think I think that that is another thing to talk about, which is in the sense of. You know, like you said, if it's just listening to podcasts and making things, that's okay. And again, like if it's, you know, if you're doing stuff because you enjoy the validation, like that's okay. But I think it's always just about knowing what it is that you're hoping to get. And I think where we run into some pain points is for people who, let's say, are seeking the validation and not getting it. So I know that that would be very painful. I, I, so we should talk about this because remember I mentioned that I have a daughter who's been very successful on mm. Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I've always wanted people to know this about me. And I doubt that very many people understand this. I, I was interviewed once before for Laura Horn's podcast. And I can't remember if I got the information across or, or maybe we never ended up talking about it, but it's very important to understand this about my account. Cause I think, like for people who have been posting on Instagram since 2011, which is basically when artists started posting on Instagram, um, you could find an account like mine and you could say, holy crap, this person came on here two years ago. How did they have so many followers? Like this doesn't even make sense. There's people who've been posting since 2011 and their art is just as good as, and maybe they have 5,000 followers, but here's this person, she has 26,000 followers. What is going on? So what I really would like people to know is when I started my Instagram account, my daughter who was very popular already on Instagram was always promoting my account to her followers, which were basically mostly like little girls between the ages of, you know, like 11 and 15. And, you know, I was doing bullet journaling and lettering and all of this stuff. And her followers were very, very kind to me and provided a lot of follows and a lot of likes in the very beginning of me having my account. And my account grew very, very quickly from the day that I started it in a way that almost nobody in the art world has the privilege 
of, of having happened to them. And you guys are probably familiar with this, the term social credibility. Mm-hmm. So I had a ton of social credibility from very early on. So if someone was, let's say, an art journaler and they found my account, they would go, oh, wow, this person has 9,000 followers. This person has 10,000 followers. Like, what's going on here? I should probably follow this person. That's what social credibility is on social media. So my account in the beginning had this like gigantic boost from my daughter over time every single one of those likes and follows has been replaced by a real like artist um, who really truly values my work. Those people who followed me in the beginning, they are all long gone. But that's that psychology of it all of this, of the saying, Oh, that person has a lot of followers. I should probably like them. Um, That's how my account grew so fast over only two years. And also that validity that I received in getting so many followers and so many likes actually helped me get super excited about making art and sharing art. And I know that without that, I don't think I would even be creating as much or as interesting and cool kind of as what I'm doing now it kind of like was like this chicken and egg thing it was just like you know what's happening here it's like you're getting a lot of likes you're getting follows then you want to make more art you're pushing yourself more you're creating better stuff and I'm like I'm like just I feel very lucky about the whole thing because it has been really fun for me Well, I would say there's two things, which is one, I think this gets back to the whole thing about the inherent, um, you know, thing in our DNA about wanting validation, which is actually all of that social credibility is the same idea of, of like, oh, I better get with what the tribe gets with so I don't get left out. Right. Yes. Which is also yeah. something that's instinctive in us. But I would also say this to you, Wendy, which is while it may be true that you got a boost from your daughter and all that kind of stuff. The other thing is you do post every day, sometimes more than once a day. You do post a lot of different content, thoughtful captions like there is something that I tell people all the time, which is, it's you know, if someone with a million followers mentions you like you could get a bump. But if you don't have the content to get people to stay, if you're not sticky as they say, then, Mm -hmm. you know, people aren't going to subscribe. They're going to take a look and bounce off. And I would say, like, you don't give yourself enough credit if you don't say, like, you create content that people are interested in and you do the work of putting stuff out there and, you know, constantly generating new um, stuff for people. And that is work. So it's so interesting. For me, it's pure pleasure which may be unusual. Like, I think there's probably a lot of people who make incredible art and the idea of posting it and having conversations and relationships on Instagram, it's just like, they would hate that idea. For whatever reason, I love it. I love posting, I love writing, I love putting my thoughts out there. To me, my Instagram account is like a journal. It's another journal for me. It is the journal of my journey as an artist, you know, post post my experience working. 
Well, it's, and I, I think people can sense that joy. I mean, I mean, not, I, I believe that everything actually does revert back to like our base animal instincts. And there is a thing that people can tell when they talk about authenticity and joy and all that kind of stuff. Like if you really enjoy it, it comes across. If it's natural to you or you're not doing it just to like get people to pay attention to you, like it comes across. I think people can read all that stuff between the lines. People are actually incredibly smart as much as we try to, you know, write all these books and corral them into this like, this is how people think. Like people are smart. They can sense real from fake. You know, I hadn't ever thought about that. I think you're right. I I, I actually love, I love Instagram. I love the community. I love take. I love taking the photographs. I love editing the photographs. I love choosing which photo of the, you know, the 25 I took of that one journal page. Like, which one is the best one? Getting the lighting right, you know. <laughs> I love it. It's and crazy, that's, that's I love fantastic it. and wonderful because I think, like, we see the joy. And I think that's really important to remember because I, I've heard from a lot of people who – don't get it can't figure it out don't find the pleasure in it it's like work and i think that that comes across too interesting yeah it's all weren't you told julie weren't you told by youtube that your audience finds you it's not you finding them it's them finding you it wasn't actually youtube what i i heard a comedian years ago giving advice to young comedians and uh, one of the questions that he got was, um, how, do you, how do you find your audience? And he was like, no, no, you don't find their, your audience. They find you. You do the stuff that's funny to you. You do the jokes that you like. You do th- that stuff. And the people who like you will keep showing up and they'll tell their friends. And the people who don't, they're not your audience. And I think that's true of all the things you make. You make your kind of art. You tell your stories the way that you want. I mean, I was even thinking about you did a post soon after the um, Black Lives Matter blackout where, uh, let's see if I can find it on your Instagram account, but one of the things you said is you said, if you follow me for pretty art, you need to know that my art and my real life experiences and personal growth are not something that I can keep separated for your entertainment and comfort. And I think that is, you know, understanding that your audience has to accept you as you are. You don't mold yourself to fit them or their comfort level. Yeah. I feel really strongly about, it's funny about my Instagram post as a reflection of a lot of who I am. I mean, obviously I'm not putting in like crazy personal details about myself, but it's a big part of who I am and what I do every day. And I could not continue to post on Instagram and be an authentic human being if I didn't share a lot of what I was going through at that time. There was like no way. I was like, how do I figure out how to say this? But I need to say this. Like, I saw a lot of artists say nothing. And I worked really hard on myself to not judge them. Because I was like, you know, I don't understand them. I'm not, you know, I knew that like, at the end of the day, my bills are paid. I'm not worried about, you know, who's Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Like, who am I going to offend by doing this? I, I knew that at the end of the day, like, it wasn't going to affect, you know, some business that I had built up. So I really, really, really tried not to judge people. I, I, I haven't been 100% successful, but I'm trying. 
but it was it was such an enormous moment an enormous moment i I couldn't just continue to be like you know the happy-go-lucky poster of art yeah i think it's important to recognize that art whatever kind of art comes out through the artist's perspective whatever that perspective is on the world and so you cannot separate art from the maker in so many ways because you can't separate the maker from you know who they are that just is what it is and i and i think that so often like if i go to a museum and a curator's giving a lecture one of the first things they do is they tell me a little bit bit about that artist's background as a way of explaining maybe why their art is that way so you know if that's a natural way that we talk about artists then why do we expect people on instagram to not have any uh emotions feelings or you know lives outside of the pretty squares that you see i think that's a really good question i think that after this conversation i may be encouraged to share more there's definitely a lot of things that i've held back about about my own just personal life journey that they do express themselves in my art journal pages. I would like to express it more. And on some level, I am kind of like worried or I, th I think about like, who am I going to confuse or offend um, by posting about, you know, my experience? Um, Isn't that before? interesting? Who am yeah. I going to offend by posting about my experience as if your life and the way that you perceive the world could be offensive i mean it's a really interesting question about about why we're so nervous about some of those things i mean do you ever feel that way of course all the time and i do need this business to support my family i do need this business to pay my mortgage you know i'm the breadwinner in our house and i will say that while uh, what's that old quote? Uh, speak, speak up even if your voice shakes or something like that. I think it has become increasingly important for me. And I have had several uh, disagreements with people over DMs. I have publicly had some uh, shouting matches about things as benign as the postal service. Um, you know, all the way up through some Black Lives Matter things. I mean, it's for me, I am a uh, biracial Jewish woman not born in America. So there's a lot of stuff packed in there. I have a black stepmother, stepbrother, stepsister. You know, I come from a family uh, in which there has been divorce. I'm divorced. My partner's divorced. I'm an unmarried mother of a child. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff which is to expect me to have a perspective where I could agree with you that some of the things that are personally reprehensible or personally attacking me would be okay it would be hilarious you know and ridiculous yeah. so I, I would say I I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things from whether or not leggings or pants and that may have changed a little during the pandemic I'm not gonna <laughs> lie about that uh, I actually found some leggings wow. that have pockets in them, which has actually made me think if they have pockets, they might be pants. This is like that conversation that always goes on about is a hot dog a sandwich? Right. right. I've never heard that question. Oh, that goes on all the time, especially on sports talk radio. 
Uh, so, I mean, I the thing is, what I do, I think, is I try to speak my truth and I don't, but I keep it to my own platform, which is to say, I don't feel the need to go to, if, if people post things I dislike on their platform, I tend to simply unfollow them and walk away. That is my personal yeah, choice. I'm not saying say it's that. the right choice, but it's my personal no. choice. I heard you say that on one of your podcast episodes. First of all, I want to commend you. I love your podcast now. I think that the two of you guys are really wonderful and brilliant. And I heard you say that about unfollowing people. And I, I do the same thing. It's like, it's not, it's not my obligation to follow someone forever because I once followed them. And if I find out during the course of following someone that they're not really like, you know, matching up with something for me, maybe their art changes and I don't like it anymore. Maybe they express a view and I'm like, well, I guess, you know, they're not for me. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. You just unfollow that person. Yeah. And I think like there is such a thing as, I mean, let's take this all back to like, especially in the pandemic and everything else, there is such a thing about taking care of your mental health. And if there are things that somebody's posting that is upsetting you for whatever reason, like, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you literally like stabbing yourself with a fork in the thigh constantly? You know, stop it. Just stop it. It's okay. Well, there to goes do that. another hobby. I know, right? Actually, <laughs> there's a, even a phrase that's called doom scrolling. And I find myself guilty of that. I'm there scrolling through Twitter or whatever and. I just feel doom everywhere. And I was just going to say it had to be on Twitter. Yeah. It's like it, my husband calls Twitter the sewer. Mm, okay. It's like the sewer of social media. It has its that that's actually probably true. It's where everybody goes to just be their worst selves. It's where everything gets dumped. Yeah. <laughs> it's where bad. everything gets dumped. It's, it's bad and anxiety producing. I find that the less I watch the news, the less I go on Twitter, the happier my day is. And it doesn't mean I always, you know, stay away from it. But I'm much happier when I stay away from it. Yeah, I think that's, but I think that's true of so many things. It's like you, sometimes you want the information, you want the, you know, whatever from it, but then it's like you've stayed too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you need to get in, you need to get out, and just be done with it. Um, which is actually, I've actually on my phone, I've just instituted a one-hour daily limit on Instagram because I found that I was just, I was like, you know, I have such a limited amount of time now and I cannot spend it, you know. And actually an hour is an incredibly long amount of time if you think about it. So I think I'll be fine. Do you spread it out or do you do it all at once? No, I spread it out because like I will, you know, run in to do a post, very quickly comment on a couple of things, look through a few things. I mean, it has changed my behavior in the sense that now that I know that I have that hour to do in like 10 minutes here, five minutes there, four minutes there, including the time that I post all day I know that like I don't have time to pay attention to stuff that isn't useful or and to me and I by useful I also mean things that are like interesting or spark something in me so I scroll a lot faster mm. and I tend to comment and like only things that I am like definitely into that day but when knows? I first got on Instagram essentially for art 
I spent an inordinate amount of time on Instagram. It was like, I, there was so much visual candy and I was learning so much and finding so many, you know, new accounts to follow and learn from and, and kind of like analyze what they were doing and dissect it and all of that stuff. And I, I have found that um, I don't need to spend nearly as much time scrolling on Instagram as I did when I originally got involved. It doesn't mean I don't do it every day because I do, because I, I like to interact with kind of the people who are frequently commenting um, on my posts and the people who I follow that it's just more of like, there is that, that like sort of social media relate. I don't know if relationship is the right word. It's probably not, but there's like a connection. We have like a social media connection and I like I enjoy it. So I like to keep that going. But, um, at some point it's like the amount of new and interesting content that's being produced by all the wonderful artists. Um, like I've seen it. It's, it's not like there's new and interesting content coming out all of the time to rock my world, to keep me hooked. Um, which is good. I think it's healthy. I spend a lot less time on Instagram now than I than I did. Honestly. You know, when the pandemic quarantine started, I was watching all sorts of different Zoom concerts and Zoom lectures and things like that. And I've that's gotten old for me. And I think I'm much more selective now. And I think once you try some and you think to yourself, oh, this is what I like and this is what I don't like, and, and you you have to groom it or it takes over your entire life. And I think it's the same thing with this being on social media. It could take over your whole life. It's designed to hook you and take over your well, whole life. Well, let's get back into, let's go back into those like, you know, uh, innate uh, impulses in us, right? It, it It is fire. It is light and it is movement and we are attracted to it in a, in a right. you know, absolutely deep down base way. But I would also say it just reminds me of like, you know, if you go to like a buffet in Las Vegas or something like that, and it's like, you know, 24 plates later topped high with crab legs that you didn't really want, you feel your need to eat your weight in whatever it is, to, you know, to pay the fee or whatever. But if you had a buffet every day, you know, you just wouldn't you just wouldn't have that feeling anymore. So I think like always at the beginning, there's this great like sort of binging that happens. It was, it was like that for me because I had basically been deprived for so long of my own art practice that when I engaged in it and I saw that there was this whole thriving thing on Instagram, it was like showing up at a buffet every day. It was like, oh my gosh, what's on the buffet today? Like what? amazing exciting you know instagram or will i find today and then what i would do and i think other people do this too is um if you find someone that you really really like their work like i would go all the way back to the beginning wow. and that's why i know 2011 is when it really got rolling because everybody who's got a great feed goes all the way back to 2011 and so I would I just wanted to understand how people came to the place that they were at today artistically. And I would go all the way back and I would just scroll through. And it just that's how my mind works. It was just like I wanted to see it. I wanted to see their evolution. 
And I probably did that with maybe 30 different people. I can't, I don't do that with everyone I follow, but like some people stood out for me as like, wow, I really want to see how they came to this place. And I have to say, Julie, I did it with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's embarrassing because man, there were some some interesting (laughs) years in there. But you know, it's, it's a, it's a, that's also kind of an intellectual approach to figuring out Instagram. You were educating yourself on what works, what doesn't work and figuring out what would work for you. So I view that as a, I don't view that as a it was research. lost time. It exactly. No, it was a hundred. You were researching research. yeah. so that you could develop your own feed. Yeah. I, I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to do it. But not even like the feed. I was researching because all of these forms of art that I had never practiced before were totally new to me. Like the things that Jamie has been doing for years and years and years are brand new to me. I never did mixed media art before a year ago. So I was going back and I'm, you know, if I find someone who's a really wonderful mixed media artist and I'm like, wow, like these people are so talented, but I wanted to know like, how did they get to the place that they're at now? Mm -hmm. And one of the things about me is like, if I find an art or a craft that I think is amazing, like I want to learn everything about it. And that's kind of just how it is right now with mixed media and bookmaking. Well, you know, this reminds me a little bit of um, somebody posted the other day on one of my Instagram posts uh, something about, I think we mistake um, practice for talent sometimes. And I think if you look at somebody's Instagram post now and then you go back to 2011, one of the things that you realize is this is practice. I started from here. Yeah. I started from here and now I'm here. And it's like so often when the problem is when you enter in the middle of someone's story or towards the end of someone's story, you assume that it has always been like this. But it hasn't. It's like that. (laughs) It's like it's 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 so comforting. I, I hope that more people do it because it's a wonderful thing to see people's evolution and how far people have come and And whenever I do it, I also think, would we all have come this far had it not been for social media? Like 25 years ago, people had to fly in from Europe to California to teach a lettering class. Now, almost everyone has online courses. Everyone has an Instagram account. So it's like our ability, like even my own, I recognize this about my own art that I'm making now, my own ability to be a semi-decent artist is built upon the collective universe of this whole mixed media thing. All of the classes that people have produced, all of the Instagram content, it, it you know, it's, it's a joint effort. It's not just me. It's all of us together. There is you something know, there wonderful been... about that, about the art collective. It but it's not just the it's not just social media because if you think about it the automobile enlarged people's worlds the airplane enlarged people's totally. worlds you know printing enlarged people's worlds there are just different things technical things technological things that widen your horizons and then 
expose you to more ideas, more people. So that's what the what the computer did. That's what social media is doing. And it's just continuing this inevitable path. Uh, I think whenever you are seeing more people and more places and more ways of thinking and solving problems or even identifying problems, you grow. I feel really lucky. I know a lot of people like really resent the whole rise of social media, you know, and there's definitely problems with it, definitely. But for me in my life, like it's all, it's really almost only been a positive experience. Imagine this pandemic if we didn't have social media. How I can't isolated we'd all feel, even more than we are. It's true. So I hate to be the one who has to say this, but it's been more than an hour, so we should probably wrap this conversation up. I think we could probably talk to you, Wendy, for several hours about so many things. I think we could have a retreat. Yes, I agree. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) It would be one of those ones where you never sleep because all you do is want to talk about ideas. Um, I'm lucky because I get to go listen to all the rest of the podcasts <laughs> that you guys have done, but you don't get to talk to me anymore. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm we'll call like you up again, and we'll certainly see you around. But I want to get your recommendation before we do sign off. I know I asked you last minute if there's something that you would like to recommend to people, and you said there was. Okay, so here's my recommendation. It's another Instagram account. It's not an artist. Her Instagram account is called I am Tabitha Brown and she is a vegan. I chef is kind of a strong word for it. She's more like she's a mom. She's an actress, but she makes food. She makes videos and she posts them on Instagram. And I'm not a vegan. I'm not plant-based, but I liked, I love vegetables. I like to eat all the time. And she has such a joy about making food and such a, uh, like an honest, not obsessive thing about her physical appearance. She happens to be gorgeous, but she's like, here's my cellulite. And guess what? Cellulite's totally normal and everybody has it. And, you know, the, you know, she's, she's very anti diet culture, but she's very pro a healthy relationship with food and a healthy rela- relationship with self. And that's what I want to recommend. I am Tabitha Brown on Instagram and I've gotten phenomenal recipes just watching her videos. And mom, what's your recommendation? So the New Yorker has republished a thing from the 2007 year. It's an article called What's the Trouble? How Doctors Think by Jerome Groupman, who is a medical doctor who often writes for them. And the reason that I, I'm recommending it is, um, aside from the fact that I'm fascinated by how doctors think, uh, is that I think it can apply to a lot of things that we do in our lives, including the arts because what the article is talking about is how sometimes their diagnoses are based on what they assume and what their pre-existing thoughts or desires are 
and that therefore it prevents them from seeing something else that's there. And I think that's right. It also happens when you're doing your art because you have a plan. You know how it's usually done. And you can sometimes block yourself from taking advantage of some different happenstance or from approaching the problem with a different way of thinking. And I think it happens with everything, you know. If, even what you define as a problem, a problem is not necessarily a negative thing. It's a question. And if you're used to using just a limited number of ways of responding to this question, then you will never uh, avail yourself of maybe something new, uh, new ways of putting things together or pulling together new ideas that you never thought could be connected so I'm recommending it okay my recommendation I think I mentioned on a podcast a couple podcasts ago that I'm currently obsessed with personal maps and making all these personal maps so I bought a book recently which has just charged my creative brain and I think it'll do it for you too it's called how to make hand-drawn maps what an uninspiring name. And yet it's a wonderful book full of beautiful artwork that has everything from actual like realistic, you know, two scale hand drawn maps to mind maps, emotion maps, you know, sort of personal, uh, very uh, fun maps, making maps as cards. Like it's just it's a wonderful it's a wonderful book just to look at even if you never draw a map. So I think that you would enjoy that. Everybody would enjoy that. Um, so, Wendy, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? The number one place is on Instagram, where my name is Willa.Wanders. And if they want to look at my website and see the journals that I sell, there's a link in my bio there. But definitely Instagram. Okay. And mom, I know that no one can find you. You're in witness protection. You don't want anyone to know and you just have a landline. So we'll keep moving and say, um, as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And we'd love to hear from you. We love your comments. We got an email the other day from a uh, listener, which I am going to read on the next show because it was so wonderful um and you'll have to wait for that wild anticipation right so <laughs> send us an email or leave us a comment and if you'd like to help the show you can always leave a review on apple Podcasts or mention us on social media because that helps other people find the show so thanks so much for listening and for subscribing and we'll see you the next time on the adventures in arting podcast <laughs> <laughs>